It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for another edition of the Know Your Enemy podcast. My name is Michael Beck, your deputy editor behind thesteelcurtain.com, and I'm uh, joined with my partner in crime here on Wednesday nights, one Mr. Jeffrey Benedict. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing great, Michael. We don't we don't even have an enemy to talk about. I didn't have to research any other teams. I didn't have to look at anything. I was just like, yes, the well, best week. Well, I, mean, I said, I said every week. I said every week looking at the Steelers, right? And then, like for this show, I'm like, oh, what's you know Seattle done this year? I don't know. <laughs> well, to say there is no enemy might be an incorrect statement because, as you tweeted earlier, as in a promo to the show, you you might have mentioned, are the Pittsburgh Steelers their own worst enemy? Uh, I'm I'm curious to know your thoughts on that right off the top here. So, in the in the spirit of know your enemy. Are the Steelers their own worst enemy? I like, I like to think of it in the terms of like uh, the art of war. Know yourself, know your enemy. You have to know yourself to even have a chance to win. You have to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And in some ways, the Steelers are their own worst enemies. And I, I think we're going to get into it a lot in this first half with some of the problems this roster has and some of the problems the Steelers have in games as to why they're three and three. I mean, really. They are three and three, and we lost some games that you're like, those are pretty bad losses. Yeah, and you're 100% right on that. And of, of course, probably the first thing we should touch on is the Pittsburgh Steelers are a three and three, 500 football team at the bye week. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, I think a lot of people probably assume this is the position they may be in before the year started, but perhaps not uh, against the opponents uh, they actually did win the games against. But what were your kind of thoughts on this uh, this past weekend's game? against the Seattle Seahawks first and foremost and that's uh um I don't really know a very good way to describe that game messy maybe messy football messy second half dominant first half pretty good overtime how would you describe uh th- that Steelers game it was the best of games it was the worst of games there was no middle ground 
The Steelers absolutely shut them down while scoring touchdowns. Then the third quarter came around and the Steelers were like, what is football? We don't know. How do you play this game? Tackling people? We're not allowed to do that anymore. Like we don't, you have to just kind of like lightly graze people or push them sideways. You can't tackle people. And then in the overtime, TJ Watt was just like enough of this. I'm done. Like give, just give Chris Boswell the ball and let's be out. Let's get out of here. Give him a chance. Win the game. (laughs) Just, hey, you know, just give him a chance. Yeah, exactly. Now, in that game, of course, the Seattle Seahawks at halftime made an adjustment for uh, Alex Collins to start running the football all over the field. And it became quite frustrating. Uh, as a fan of this team, watching them uh, kind of uh, implode to a degree, obviously Seattle made a change. What was the change that you saw on tape, and how did they uh, exploit the Steelers' defense? Well, this is this is something I really want to talk about because I've looked more into it beyond just this game. Uh, but what Seattle did... The first half of that game, they ran four times. Four times in the first half for 19 yards. That's not bad. That's like you're looking at that like, you know, Peyton Manning 2005 playoffs, you know, where you're like Edgar and James is killing us. But, unfortunately, you just don't give them the ball. Uh, Seattle, like, went into halftime and was like, we've got to stop the Steelers from doing what they're doing because the Steelers' entire game plan was two deep safeties. Minka and Terrell Edmonds just don't let DK Metcalf get past you. It's basically what they're doing. Whoever's on his side, stay deep. The other guy kind of come up a bit, watch out for Tyler Lockett. But they were really like, we're going to stop these two. And they talked about on the broadcast, like those guys are over 50% of their offense, like touches with running backs included. Like those guys are over 50% of that team's offense, just those two receivers. So that's crazy, right? So the Steelers are like, let's just take them away. The Seattle came out in the second half and said, we're going to run on you until you get out of cover too. And the Steelers were basically like, yeah, you can run on us. We're still not ditching cover too. Like we're not letting you throw the ball to DK Metcalf deep. We're not going to give that up. And they didn't. You didn't have a single deep tar- uh, deep catch as long as reception was 14 yards. Like if you can do that, you can beat Seattle. Uh, so at the second half, they really started like after they had to adjust to the, to the run, uh, which I should probably tell what they did. Cause I thought it was a question What Seattle switched and what their focus wasn't just running the ball, but they ran to the right side, right interior kind of side, right at one Chris Wormley. Like they ran at Chris Wormley and not just Chris Wormley. They ran at Chris Wormley and TJ Watt and Joe Schobert. That's the right side of the defense. If you're on the offense and you're look, running to the right side, that's who you're running at. The left side of defense, you're running at Cameron Hayward, Alex Highsmith, and Devin Bush. Alex Highsmith is a phenomenal run defender. I don't have to say anything other than the words Cameron Hayward. People should know what that means. And Devin Bush is a good run stopper. Joe Schobert is better in coverage than he is at stopping the run. He's, he's solid, right? Not great. Uh, Chris Wormley is a better pass rusher. He's not stout against the run he's not that guy and tj Watt, his whole job is go in there disrupt the you know disrupt geno smith don't let him get going right we've got a quarterback who who isn't a starter he probably he hasn't seen pressure in a long time he hasn't he really hasn't go in there and disrupt him and tj's just teeing off on the quarterback the entire first half that second half they start running right at Chris Wormley, right at TJ Watt, and they're killing us. Absolutely destroying us with just very simple blocking patterns. Uh, They're just double-teaming Chris Wormley and then working off to Joe Schober, and it was just working. 
uh, as the Steelers tried to like you 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 saw one play. Uh, it's like the third and three run. Cameron Hayward just is like crashing to that side to try and bail out, you know, what they're doing to Chris Wormley. And they just, he just cuts it back and picks up the first down. Like, you just like, he got tackled by Devin Bush. Like, you're not going to gain a ton of yards that way, but he still picked up the first down. The Steelers started run blitzing. They switched in Isaiah Loudermilk. They're going crazy trying to stop the run. They hit that 41 yard pass to the tight end the next time. Because they ran play action and the tight end ran completely free. Devin Bush and Joe Schobert both on the running back. And tight end is just wide open, right? And with the with the safeties leading back farther, you know, your your running backs have more space. They're missing tackles because the running back has open space. You give a running back space, they shouldn't get tackled by a safety. A good running back just shouldn't. They if you've got enough space to maneuver, you've got to break that tackle. And the Steelers eventually adapted uh, by basically telling T.J. Watt, stop pass rushing and just straight up play run defense. And once he did that, he basically turned the tables on that entire side of the defense. It's incredible to watch because at times you're like, you're like, yeah, T.J. Watts. I say it a lot. T.J. Watts, the best pass rusher in the, in the NFL, and he just rushes the quarterback because why wouldn't you have him do that? He's the best in the NFL. at it. And then the Steelers are like, hey. We can't stop anyone running to the right. Can you single-handedly solve that? Can you, like, beat double teams and disrupt the run? And TJ's like, yeah, I got that. And he did. I watched the, I'm just like, holy crap. TJ Watt just goes like, oh, we're going to stop the run. And he just he just does. Uh, there was a play. They picked up a first down late where they showed uh, – they did a RPO. And TJ was, like, trying to decide, am I going for the running back or the quarterback? And he just went for the running back. Geno Smith took it, stepped out, and, and threw a pass. That's what TJ had to do. For us to not just get gassed constantly on the ground, he had to do that. So I went and I looked up. I know I'm, I'm ranting here. It's okay. I went and looked up the numbers uh, for rushing directionally for the Steelers. One of the best places I, you can get that. Uh, Football Outsiders does DVOA by rush location, right? To the left end and the left tackle – Steelers are a top 10 run defense. Left end, they're number three. Left tackle, they're like number seven. Runs off right tackle. The Steelers rank 32nd in the NFL in defensive and DVOA, defensive value over average or something like that. I don't remember what it's like. But basically, we're the worst run defense when you run at the right, that the defensive end to the offensive right, which is the defensive left defensive end. Which is where Stefan Tuitt should be and isn't. Where Tyson Alualu would have filled in in four-man fronts and isn't. It's where Chris Wormley and Isaiah Loudermilk and Carlos Davis and those guys have to play because Cameron Hayward's on the other side. We are the worst run defense in the NFL on those specific runs. We are one of the best to Cam Hayward's side. And Alex Highsmith is part of that, too. He's a really good run defender. That's that's the story of that game. Seahawks were just like, yeah, run at that guy. They have a weak link on their defensive line. Just run at it. And I don't want to rag too much on Chris Wormley. He's our number four defensive lineman. Normally. <laughs> right now, he's number two. Our number three guy in snaps this last game was uh, uh, Henry Mondo, who's normally on the practice squad. That's... That's the problem there. That, and that's going to be a problem unless Stefan Tuitt comes back. It's going to be a problem the Steelers are going to have to deal with. 
Yeah, and not a moment too soon uh, when uh, Stefan Tuitt is available to this team. One of the guys you mentioned in there, though, was TJ Watt, of course. Um, of course, being the AFC uh, Defensive Player of the Week, uh, having one of the more incredible stat lines you'll see from an outside linebacker. Uh, in any given week, he went off. Of course, we've seen the Steelers miss him for a game and a half. Um, but outside of that, DJ Watt's been outstanding from that action that he missed. Even when he's played somewhat injured against the Packers, he was still made an impact. How different. He got like two of the garbage sacks ever, but he still got two sacks. Like, you're just exactly. Like... It's TJ, okay. like, like when you're that good, things like that happen to you. But, yeah. uh, with him specifically, how different are the Steelers over the course of these six games? How different a team are they when they don't have T.J. Watt in the lineup compared to when he is lining up on the outside? When he is disrupting the pass game, our pass defense is great. When he was focused on the run game, our run defense is great. Whatever T.J. Watt is doing, the other team just has to try and work around it, right, and hope for the best. He is that good when they didn't have him. This defense was terrible because basically without TJ Watt, the defense could be like, we can throw two guys at Cameron Hayward. And if we need to a third, right. And we can, or we can just go away from him and avoid him and have our running back just outrun him to the other side of the field. They could just get away from Cameron Hayward and no one else was a real threat. This, this defensive front right now has two players that are above average i would say everyone else is average or like almost replacement value kind of that idea like they we are not good in the front seven outside of cameron hayward and tj watt who are legitimate like defensive player of the year candidates both of them in my opinion the way they've been playing so far they are that level of player and no one else is anywhere close to them yeah, no, that uh, definitely uh, will bring down any team losing a player of that caliber then. But uh, I'm, I'm curious yeah. what you've seen out of Alex Highsmith now as the season goes on. Uh, he picked up a sack and a half, uh, really his first sack of the season. It, it took a while for him to get there, but eventually he did, of course, in this game. What has he done over the course of this year? Does he look better than he did at the end of last season? Uh, and how, how would you even compare him to uh, what the Steelers had la- a year ago in Bud Dupree? Oh, that's harsh. Man, that's harsh. Because Alex Highsmith has one real drawback, and that is his athleticism. He's not – he, he is – I don't want to say he's not a quick twitch guy because he gets off the line really fast, right? He is great reading the snap, getting off the line. He's explosive off the snap. He's just not the speed to the to the ball that you had with Bud Dupree. And in Keith Butler's defense, Keith Butler used Bud Dupree so well. Not as in Bud Dupree picking up his own stats, but his entire career. I've I've gone, I've talked about this so many times, but Bud Dupree's entire career in Pittsburgh, when he was active, when he was on the field playing in a game, the Steelers averaged three sacks a game. At no point in that time period outside of a, uh, like the season, uh, Bud Dupree missed one game, and it was the game. It was the game against Cleveland. They had uh, the quarterback start in his first game ever, who wasn't any good, and he like ran into to Anthony Chicolo twice to give up seven sacks. Uh, 
that's the only time where multiple games in a, where where like the Steelers average three games without Bud three sacks without Bud Dupree. Any season where he missed two games or more, the Steelers did not average three sacks a game in the games he was out. That includes last season. When they had Stephon Tua getting 11 sacks, TJ Watt, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, they had Cameron Hayward, they had Alex Highsmith coming in to back him up. It shouldn't have been that big of a loss, but yet you went from like three and a half sacks to like two and a half sacks a game without Bud Dupree. It's true across the board. The craziest was 2016 when Cameron Hayward got hurt and Bud Dupree came back from injury and they went from like one and a half sacks a game to over three sacks a game for the rest of the season with Bud Dupree, he he had that element where he just fit what Keith Butler wanted him to do. And Keith Butler used him to, to create opportunities for sacks for other people. You're seeing quarterbacks escape the pocket. You're seeing that this year. You're seeing guys be able to run. They're, they're getting better at it. The guys are learning. They're getting better. But you saw that earlier in the season. You didn't see that last year. As for Alex Highsmith himself, he is not the physical specimen that Bud Dupree was, but he is a phenomenal run defender. He's got really good pass rush moves. It's just not like he's he's like the second guy to the quarterback, or he's sometimes the third guy to the quarterback, or he doesn't win. Like he throws a good move down and they they still win the block. He hasn't had a great season, but he has been phenomenal in run defense, and I love seeing him get those that get to the quarterback uh, four times, four quarterback hits, two of them were sacks, one and a half sacks, four quarterback hits. I love seeing that. I don't know what happened, but it clicked for him that game, and I, I hope we see that going forward because I love Alex Highsmith. And I love what he shows on film. It just, it's it's not, you know, getting, it's not producing yet. Now, to flip things over to the other side of the football, um, one of the uh, the big components of this team, and uh, kind of a, a hot topic, of course, is Benjamin Todd Roethlisberger, Steelers quarterback. Uh, of course, he's had some struggles this year. He's had some bright spots, too, to be completely fair to him. Has, has he played better in the Steelers' lo- wins compared to the Steelers' losses? Uh, is that something that you've noticed? Are, are they Has he been getting better as the year gone on? Uh, what have you seen overall from Ben? Uh, outside of the, I want to say Green Bay game. Was that the game he was like missing everything and it was terrible? Or was that Cincinnati? Uh, I, I think it was the Green Bay one. Okay. I may yeah. have sent Cincinnati in my podcast. Got that wrong. My other one. But uh, yeah, outside of the game where after the game they talked and they were like, oh, his mechanics are off. And he was like, yeah, I got to work on my mechanics. Outside of that game where he was missing throws he routinely makes and just looked awful. Uh he has been pretty much the same guy. Like I would say he's been consistently the same quarterback since middle of last season, maybe even early last season. He just, since he's come back from, you know, missing the 2019 season, I would say he's been pretty consistently the same quarterback most of the time. What changes is what's the blocking like? You know, are the receivers dropping passes? Is he getting hit? Is there a run game? What's the defense? You know, how is the defense defending routes? He He's not a guy who, like he could before, elevate his game when the situation was awful. Benjamin Todd Roethlisberger was phenomenal at that. 2008, he was always 
always just having to do it himself, and he did. Uh, now he's not that guy. He can't do that stuff. He just can't. He's still solid. He's not. It's not just his mobility either. He, there's some throws he can't make or is unwilling to make or just doesn't trust his arm. I don't know what it is, but there's some throws he doesn't take. But it's consistent. When, when the other team has to focus on Najee Harris to the point that, that those slant routes are open that he loves to throw, he kills teams with those slant routes. It's just when you don't have a run game going good enough to force those linebackers inside, they'll sit on them and, and stop. All of a sudden, those slant routes are, are they're covered. So to me, he hasn't really changed. It's been the circumstances around him that have changed. I really question if we can expect more from him. I, I really think this is what we're going to get, and this is kind of his, you know, this is his last ride, and this is the quarterback he is. And it's not necessarily bad. It's just nowhere close to what we remember. You know, from the glory days of Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, no, no kidding. And really, I guess to kind of expand on this, how has the offense itself changed since Juju Smith-Schuster's gone down? How is, has Ben played it any different? How are the receivers lining up? Who Who's taking those targets? What are you seeing uh, from the offense now uh, with the new receiver in front of, uh, or I guess beside big Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, it was weird looking at the snap counts and seeing that Ray Ray McLeod played as much as he did. I frankly didn't notice him that much because uh, he's—I mean, he's not that—he's not a receiver you're going to notice a lot. He doesn't make a lot of plays, uh, but he got some of the snaps. And then we saw an increase in usage of tight ends out wide. We saw them in the slot. We saw them not in the line, not lined up in on the formation like like we normally see them. And I liked that. We saw Pat Fryermuth, you know, have a good game. Finally, him and Eric Ebron tripled, uh, had more had more yards in that game than they did in the previous three combined. Like three games provided, they had more they had more in this game than they did in those three. So the tight ends got a little more involved, and I think they need to lean on that. I really think they need to lean on that. If you're using Pat Fryermuth in the slot and you have Eric Ebron on the other side or, or Pat Fryermuth line the line and Eric Ebron in the slot, you've got a heavy set right there. You're looking at a heavy set, and yet you also have receivers. We did we did the the touchdown to Najee Harris. Had a two-wide receiver, had two tight ends, and Najee Harris in, and they went five wide. They went empty set. Just were like pfft. Like, how do you defend that? You've got multiple, you got, you know, you've got, you're prepared for a, a power run set. And they spread them out. They, they did it one time. They had Derek Watt, like, coming in, and then he just went outside. Like, <laughs> doesn't matter. You, you can't, how are you going to match up against us? So I liked that. I think there's a lot Canada can do with that. That's more in his wheelhouse. He loved using fullbacks and tight ends out in the slot. He did that a lot in college. And I think with Juju Smith-Schuster out, we'll see more of that. And I hope we do because, like, I, I know everyone leans back to Ben Roethlisberger running what he's comfortable with, the no huddle, all those things. But the truth is that offense doesn't work, not on this team, not with this offensive line. When he has good blocking, it works. When he doesn't have good blocking, it doesn't work. So is it going to work right now? No, it's not going to work. You've, you've got to do something else. You've got to get away from that. And I think, I think Matt Canada's offense right now is working a lot better than – than the traditional Ben Roethlisberger offense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that too. And kind of the big things with this offense as well is the amount of rookie starters we're currently looking at. 
course, uh, Kendrick Green, Dan Moore Jr., Najee Harris, and Pat Fryermuth himself. How are these four young guys uh, kind of taken to playing in the NFL? Have they got have they gotten better? Who's sh- showing the most signs of improvement, and who has that kind of superstar potential? I'll start on the offensive line. Dan Moore Jr. has become a dynamic run blocker for the most part. There's still places where he loses to a veteran move or something that he just doesn't know yet. But in most run plays, he has gotten really good. Uh, he is not so good, you know, protecting Ben Roethlisberger. And playing left tackle, that's kind of a bad spot to have a guy who's like, yeah, he can run block really good, but he, he's not so hot on the pass blocking. Uh, Kendrick Green is the opposite. He he is not he's not good run blocking, but he's gotten a lot better pass blocking. He still gives up pressures, but he's not as bad as he was to start the season. I think both of them have solid potential. Uh, Najee Harris is I mean he's been a, he's been a superstar since the day he walked on the field. He's been better than I expected. Uh, I don't I don't know how high either of us I don't know how high you were on him, but I know I wasn't super high on him. I was like, oh, he's going to be better than like James Conner was. Yeah, he's so much better. He's phenomenal. He if he had an offensive line, he'd be an all he'd be an all pro this year. If he had a real offensive line, uh, I don't think we're going to get much better than him unless the offensive line gets better. But Pat Fryermuth, I think, is legit. I mean, he's caught like ninety percent of his targets, ninety percent catch rate. He's second on the team in yards per target. Like, come on, throw him the ball more. He's fifth in targets. There's four guys on this team we target more than him, including Najee Harris. You know, like, if you, like half the time when you're throwing to Najee Harris, Pat Farmouth is open. Like, you know, maybe maybe hit this guy. I hope they uh, take the bye week to draw up some special plays for him, get him more involved. They have to because he is a weapon they need to use. I think that's going to be a key factor for the future, and I think he is he has that potential to be really good. Yeah, and a shameless plug, if you click over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, I wrote an article on this very topic that dropped on Wednesday, so you can uh, go ahead and read that, uh, specifically pointing out to more seam routes, more corners, more posts, getting him involved a little bit more deeper down the field as well, I think would be something huge for Pat Fryermuth and the offense as a whole. Now, um, as we kind of roll along in the first half of our show here, one of the guys that struggled mightily against the Seahawks and has struggled a lot, honestly, throughout this entire season uh, it's Chase Claypool, uh, the kind of Steelers phenom receiver from a year ago. Doesn't quite look the same uh, here in 2021. What are you seeing from him? What's the reason for the decline from uh, Mabeltron himself? I mean, he's he he actually, at this point, the production has me wondering if we're overrating him. And then I look at the film and I'm like, he's got the traits. He's got the traits. Uh, I think the problem is Ben... We're, we're used to any deep threat that's legit lining up and just going off with Ben Roethlisberger. Mike Wallace, you know, Martavis Bryant, my, my man Sammy Coates having like six games of setting the NFL on fire before he forgot how to catch the ball. Like, he's been that guy. Nate Washington was a good receiver for this team. I mean, Ben has been that guy for a long time. And he's not anymore. He's still loves throwing the sideline deep routes to just throw it to the sideline. He loves those. He still throws those and he still throws them. Well, the problem is there's no counters to them. So teams, I mean, 
I posted on this on, on Twitter and people were like, you, you have to be wrong. Like nobody does what you're saying defenses are doing. I can show you on film. There are defenses running single high safety and their cornerbacks have outside leverage on both receivers to the field, to the boundary, both of them. They have outside leverage and they're straight up just defending the sideline route because that's the route Ben throws. They're cheating to that side knowing if a guy beats you inside, Ben's going to throw him to the sideline, right? Like you're, and we saw that Deontay Johnson's touchdown uh, against the last touchdown he caught. Was that, that was not, that wasn't, was that the deep one? Uh, The deep shot uh, against Denver. Denver. Thank you, man. I can't remember words, but uh, that one, Deontay got an inside release and had to cross the defender back outside because it was to the side it was to the sideline now i know there are throws designed to do that but there's also a lot of times where if you've got a single high safety and you've got a court and you have an inside release win from the wide receiver you just split the cornerback and the safety and you got a big gain ben used to nail those all the time he was he was killer at it and that's how he set up like if you if you can't camp the outside sideline shots he's going to kill you on them well, if you if you look at how many of those outside shots when they go to Chase Claypool, Chase Claypool is trying to jump over somebody, reaching over a defender like stretching back there, and yeah, it's a contested catch, but that's a tough contested catch. That's a hard one, and good contested catch guys, good contested catch numbers are like fifty percent, and that's mostly on the quarterback throwing a good ball where the receiver can get it in through the contact, right? We don't have that quarterback right now. We don't have him. And where Chase Claypool is doing the most damage is on like slant routes, stuff like that. Inside, run a little seam route and Ben hits him. That's good. But but when he lines up outside where he is super deadly, like they just know the ball is going to the sideline. The ball is going to go there. You kind of know where the ball is going to go. It's easier to defend. Uh, I, I'm hoping Ben proves me wrong and starts throwing starts splitting the safety in the the outside wide receiver i'm hoping that happens but i'm not seeing it and and until we see it i don't think chase claypool is going to be the guy we keep expecting him to be yeah no and that's a good point now sticking in the receiving core as well though we know we already know all about deontay johnson but kind of the big question mark we're faced with right now is james washington what the heck is he? Is he the Steelers receiver three now that Juju's gone? Is he the Steelers receiver four? Is he battling injury? Mike Tallman made it seem like he wasn't. Uh, Ike Hilliard, I believe, made it seem like he was. What's going on with this guy? Why isn't he getting that, that bump of snaps that uh, we were all expecting him to get against the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, I went on record talking about how when Juju Smith-Schuster is out, he's like a 70 yard a game receiver, 60 to 70 yards a game. And Eight snaps? That's it? Um, I don't get it. I don't get I don't get why Ray Ray McLeod is in there. But I also we heard rumors that he was unhappy, that he wanted a better shot. He's playing for a contract, you know. I wonder if that's not an issue because when he's been in and when he has played, he hasn't looked as good on film like his routes aren't as good like it just it doesn't seem like he's the same guy right now and 
I don't know. Maybe that's Matt Canada's offense doesn't fit him as well. That's that's a possibility. Like the, maybe the role they're putting him in doesn't fit him as well. I don't know, but it just seems like he's not quite the player he was the last couple of seasons. Where I was like, "Come on, you've got to you've got to get him in. You've got to throw the ball to him. You've got to do this." But the problem was, him and Juju Smith Schuster needed those same routes. Like they needed the same routes to produce. And James was behind Juju Smith-Schuster. And then when Juju would go out, James would go off. Well, now Juju's out. Doesn't look like there's much there for James Washington. Yeah, no, you are 100% on the money with that. We are at the halfway mark of our show here. So if you're listening on YouTube or Facebook, just hang tight. If you're listening on a podcast platform, whatever it may be, just click over to part two now and uh, we'll get into more action uh, from Know Your Enemy and uh, kind of take a look ahead at the Steelers' future here. So uh, click over to part two right now. (laughs) 